degenerate angels, my freaky deaky voyeurs, the anonymous little lights of my life. Welcome to the Acela Fast Track Train to Hell, a dysfunctional paradise, another bananas episode of Tales of Taboo. For those of you who are new here, thanks to either your chatty friends or the legend that is Dumois, welcome. My name is Ali Weiss. I am a Z-list performer and writer in downtown New York City, obsessed with all the people, professions, ideas, experiences that we are discouraged from talking about in public. So think of it this way, like anything that makes your racist aunt who keeps asking you when you're going to settle down and have a baby clutch her pearls like whatever offends her, that's something we talk about. Okay. So I sometimes do traditional interviews, but mostly I create my episodes around anonymous confessions from my listeners who write to me or they'll send me voice notes detailing experiences that they usually don't get asked about. And because no one knows who they are, they really let it rip. And this week we are diving deep into the fashion industry. Okay, so listen, I'm a Jap, which means I love to shop. It means I love designer and it means I love a deal. I love clothes that make me look sexy and I love buying clothes when I'm sad. I wouldn't say that I'm very quote unquote like good at putting clothes together. I actually literally have no concept of what's tacky. And as such, I always kind of look like the love child of Fran Drescher and an extremely cheap, inexperienced drag queen. But getting dressed excites me. The, the idea of fashion, however, or rather fashion, like with the UN at the end, it sends chills down my mildly scoliosis spine. And this is because I find the motives behind fashion to be kind of sus. I mean, some people definitely use the way they dress as a form of catharsis and self-expression, um, like a way to show off parts of themselves that maybe can't be put into words. It can definitely be an artistic statement and a way to show off cultural identity too, which is really cool. But at least in the world that I'm in here in New York, I mostly see people using fashion as a way to climb the social hierarchy. And it is literally fucking preposterous to me that just by possessing or wearing or like being knowledgeable about certain brands and designers, somebody who otherwise has no talent or special way of thinking can be deemed important or, tell me now, iconic. I don't necessarily think that capitalism or materialism are bad, and nor do I want to start some conversations about isms in general. I don't. I'm not John Lennon. I'm actually very obsessed with examining the methods in which humans seek validation to cope with their loneliness or try to leave an imprint or become something larger than themselves. And the fashion industry is a great example of that. But What bothers me is that this world, which is supposedly built around like the so-called ultimate freedom of expression, actually stifles creativity, right? It devalues genuine talent and unique thinking in favor of simply the way you look and how well you can pair items of clothing. 
And when it comes to people who are in the public eye, more often than not, those people are not pairing their own clothing. They have stylists who do it for them. So really, fashion as an industry is another marketing scheme to get people to all spend money on the exact same shit to feel relevant. And on top of that, it's like very openly elitist, racist, and promoting of unhealthy body standards. But I promise I'm ranting for a reason. I'm saying all this because the more I thought about how fashion affects consumers, the more I started being obsessed with the people who actually engineered it from the other side. I think all of us are so conditioned to associate fashion imagery with like Gossip Girl and rooftop parties and champagne and Paris and New York, cool street style photos and selfies of really interesting looking models backstage at shows, you know, celebrating the end of a 13 hour long shoot, breaking the internet. Really what we see with fashion is the finished product. And what we're going to hear from our anonymous contributors today is that what goes on behind the scenes is actually very much the opposite of the kind of image that the fashion industry looks to project. Behind the scenes, none of it is footloose and fancy free. You know, it's all actually very abusive and exploitative. So I'm going to stop talking and let the story speak for themselves. Without further ado, written submissions, here we go. Submission number one. I worked for a luxury fashion brand that is very popular among a certain crowd and on Instagram. I was with the brand for two and a half years. I started as a creative associate, but due to the extremely small size and lack of structure, I immediately moved up. When I quit at the beginning of this year, I was managing all the marketing, customer experience, fulfillment, sales, and e-commerce. I didn't have a specific job title, but I essentially was the head of about three departments at the age of 25. The founder, owner, CEO started this as a hobby and is extremely wealthy via marriage. I reached out to her via Instagram and sent her my resume. We were in contact for about a month, and then when I moved to New York without a job, I doubled down on my efforts to get hired. I'd email her daily about meeting up and would walk by their store and office at least once a day. After about a week, I just went in and was like, hi, I'm here to help. The team was almost 100% girls under the age of 30. We were all really close, but it was catty as fuck. There were literally no rules besides to do whatever the founder asked of you and do it without complaining. I worked from 8.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. every weekday with a minimum of four hours of work on weekend days. During COVID, as I worked from home, it was minimum 12 hours a day and eight hours a day on the weekend. I started on an hourly salary of $20, then $22 after eight months. I was moved to a salary of $45,000 after about a year with no overtime. About five months later, in the middle of the pandemic, I had to fight to have my salary raised to something suited to the amount of hours I worked and my responsibilities. It was nasty, and I ended up giving legal threats. They gave me a raise to $60,000. While my position continued to grow, I asked for another raise since there were no compensating benefits and was told I could only maybe have that raise if I started going back into the office. And mind you, this was in September. 
they would also pit our salaries against one another. Like either you or the other girl can get this salary and you have to prove yourself. I was on equal working levels with two other girls who had been there as long as I had, but one was paid $10,000 more than me and the other 15000 It was ridiculous. I was expected to be online and available always. We all were. I was on paid time off vacation in Spain, but answering her texts and emails all day, every day. I even had to take a phone call from her while hiking on a Saturday at the peak of a mountain. I was totally a bitch to the brand and my boss. One day you were her favorite and got to sit in the office with her. The next she would scream at you until you would cry. Multiple times she told me her kindergartner would be more proficient at my job than me and I was threatened with being fired. We were all treated like shit and miserable but had major Stockholm Syndrome. I never had issues with anxiety before, but about one year in, I started having panic attacks. So many sleepless nights and days spent crying. We had this particular closet where we would all go to cry because we would all each cry at least once a week at the office. All of us were and still are paranoid and on edge. We would drink, smoke, and take pills together to compensate. We all had our therapy sessions clearly marked on the company-wide calendar and basically had a candy bowl of Xanax and Klonopin. There were some good parts. We'd get tons of free stuff from our brand, other brands, PR gifts the founder was sent, trips out to the Hamptons, free lunch about once a week, and cocktails at work. My boss is a socialite, so we went to a lot of parties in the city in Montauk. They were all very showy, very much a certain crowded New York City. But I would never recommend the company to anyone. Submission number two. I worked at the Victoria Beckham Atelier in London, where we made the samples for Fashion Week, what we gave to the press, and what Victoria wore. I had always wanted to work in luxury fashion, so I was really excited and had a I can't believe this is happening moment before I started. Day to day, the Atelier was actually pretty good. Hours were 10 to 6 with an hour for lunch. In the lead up to fashion week or a meeting deadline, we would be there late, but usually didn't stay later than 10 p.m. I personally think they had to be pretty good with their working hours because of Victoria's high profile. A lot of colleagues would often say that this company was by far the best they had worked for in luxury fashion. It's public knowledge now that Victoria Beckham hadn't actually made any profit for the past 10 plus years it's been in existence, so it's been supported by money coming in from elsewhere. It takes hundreds and thousands, and in VB's case, millions of pounds each season to produce a fashion line. Plus, Victoria had very strong relationships with Vogue, so was able to get good publicity. It's frustrating to me that to actually be successful, which I'm defining as making a profit and being operational season after season, you often have to be backed by finance. So many young designers don't have this opportunity and never get off the ground. And if they do, there's an immense amount of pressure from investors and to enter into the exclusive circles where it's a who's who of who you know. Success often isn't relative to good design. Obviously, Victoria has a huge public reputation, but every interaction I had with her, which to be honest wasn't too often, she was really nice. Sometimes David and the kids came in to visit, but nothing out of the ordinary happened when they were there. It was the people in managerial positions who worked for the company that caused drama and thought they were God's gift. I honestly don't know how they thought Victoria's fame meant that they had more power and entitlement but that seemed to be the case across most areas of the company. 
My manager in particular was a dragon. She would be verbally abusive, gaslight and manipulate everyone. And sometimes it wasn't even for any benefit. It was just to assert dominance and fuck with your head. She would yell at me across the atelier so everyone could hear and blame me for things I hadn't even done. If anything, they were her mistakes or things she had forgotten to tell me. If I tried to stand up for myself, she would just ignore me or walk away. I would consider myself to be pretty thick-skinned and able to separate work life from personal life, but this abuse every day wore me down. Towards the end, there were definitely more than a few days where I would run to the toilets to cry. Some colleagues would reassure me that I had done nothing wrong, and that was just how she was. Others would say I needed to pay my dues. She didn't say it in a mean way, more that like, that's how the business works. If you can get through the abuse for a few years, then you've earned your place in the company. It was fucked. I had to prove myself of being worthy to work there, like my qualifications, interns, and work experience wasn't enough. I couldn't believe others were accepting of this work culture. While I was working there, I did lose touch with some friends because I couldn't go to dinners or birthday parties when they fell during fashion week. Slowly, the invites just stopped coming in. But I think that was more the friend's lack of understanding my work than anything else. I do find that some friends and family members really don't understand the fashion industry and don't take me seriously with what I do. This sometimes makes me feel stupid or vapid, which makes me question why I'm doing what I'm doing. I was paid between 18,000 and 24,000 pounds annually while I was there, which is so little to live on, especially in London. I found out that one of the stylists who would come in a few times a season was being paid more than half of my annual salary per day. So when I approached for pay raises with examples of why I was deserving and they declined, I began to mentally check out. I ended up quitting and moving back home, which is not in London, but not after talking to HR and trying to work out a way I could stay. My request fell on deaf ears. Working at Victoria Beckham satisfied an itch I had for years, and all in all, I do feel lucky to have been given the opportunity to work there. But I'm sad that my love and true passion is with a typically exclusive, abusive, and unethical industry. My manager's abuse left me with anxiety and serious trust issues when it comes from working with other people. I often work to the point of burning out and struggle to put monetary value on my time. I'm getting way better and in the last year have actually started my own business and plan to never work for anyone else ever again. Is this a symptom or a solution? Hi, I'm Josie Toda. I'm Alicia Pascual Peña. And I'm Yasmin Hamidi. We're three best friends, like literally sisters out of the same womb. We're also actresses and disruptors and the host of new Crooked Media podcast, Dare We Say. Every week, we'll dive into the issues affecting our generation, from income inequality, LGBTQ rights, and the nightmare that is ours landing page. This is about to get, dare we say, heated. New episodes drop every Thursday starting August 11th. Subscribe to Dare We Say wherever you listen to your podcasts. Submission number three. I worked for free people as a web merchandiser. Basically, my team oversaw all the creative content on the website and email marketing. I had moved back home after school, so I started working at a free people store at my mall to make money while I job hunted. One thing led to another, and I ended up moving up in store management. One day, we were told that recruiters from the corporate office were visiting to conduct field-to-home office interviews for anyone looking to make the jump. 
I had always dreamt of going corporate and having a fashion career, so I interviewed when they came. I was offered a job and moved to Philadelphia, where FP headquarters is located. I spent four years at the Free People Corporate Office. I started as a sample coordinator, which is literally the lowest position someone can have, but quickly moved into web merchandising. Once I started in merch, that's when things really got wild. Most merchandisers are assigned categories to oversee, i.e. dresses, denim, swim, etc. But they put me in more of a general merchandising role, overseeing categories like trends and what's new. Because of this, the boundaries of my role were pretty ambiguous, and I quickly became this project manager for the team. A free people grim reaper of sorts. People knew if I was emailing them, it was bad news, and I wanted out badly. Because I had assumed this point person role, I was never off. I would sleep with my phone on rings, take calls and answer emails no matter the time or place, and be expected to make updates to the website anytime, anywhere. And trust me, the website was always updating. I would typically get to the office around 8am, leave around 6pm, and then be on for anything after hours. Free People is owned by Urban Outfitters, which also owns Anthropology. Urban always had a reputation of selling unsavory merchandise, ripping off other brands' designs, and overall just being a fast fashion mill. Free People, specifically, had a bit of a softer reputation. It was slightly more mature, with hand-touched designs that didn't feel as copycat as Urban. I think FP gave off a very chill and whimsical vibe, but that is not how it was in the office. On any given day, you would see someone publicly crying or yelling. We would post these like vegan, holistic, meditating women on our social media and be like, this is free people. But then at the office, it's a bunch of women and men shoving a fucking croissant in their mouth because it's the only sustenance they had time to eat, crying at their computer because they have 30 minutes to complete a task that should take three hours. To summarize, it was not chill, it was not healthy, and it was not zen. I would have emotional breakdowns all the time. I really prided myself on never having a public one. I would always make it into a bathroom stall or wait until I got home. But one day, my boss was going in on me in front of the entire team, and I just lost it. It felt like a public shaming, and I wanted to die just so it would end. After that, it became commonplace for me to tear up at my desk. I wouldn't sleep, and I would go through bouts of depression. I think it'll be best if I just break it down in bullets of things I experienced and saw. 1. I took my laptop out to the bars on more than one occasion because there was a high chance I would be asked to make updates to the website at midnight, 1am, 2am, etc. on a Friday or Saturday night. 2. After the holiday party one year, a bunch of us went back into the office to get our things and ran into a woman very high up in the buying department. She had a reputation for doing a lot of coke and was clearly fucked up. She came over and started rambling about how Heath Ledger didn't mean to kill himself and started crying. 3. The head of the marketing department was male and had a habit of only hiring extremely attractive women to his team. He would take them out and buy them rounds of shots. 4. We scrapped our curvy denim campaign images three to four times because the president kept saying the models were too fat. We ultimately ended up using a model that wore a size 4. 5. The studio would have to be strategic when casting black models because the owner of Free People, quote, never likes the black models, end quote. 6. 
The retouching department would Photoshop these models within an inch of their lives. Several models complained when we removed their beauty marks, moles, tattoos, etc. 7. Free People was sued by the Navajo Nation because they posted jewelry on their website and listed it as Navajo when it was not. As part of the settlement, the brand was required to sell around $50,000 worth of real Navajo Nation jewelry. 8. I remember it was Christmas Eve at 2 a.m. and the app had gone down. Because I never slept with my phone on silent, I was called to deal with it. I was visiting home for the holidays and my dad woke up to me working at our kitchen table. He was so confused about why anything with clothes would need me working at 2 in the morning. For me, this was just another weekend. The most glamorous part of working for urban brands are the parties. They know your life is miserable, so they throw you these absolutely epic parties twice a year. The summer party and the holiday party. The holiday party is the main event, though. It's at night. It's way over the top. The alcohol is literally coming out of every orifice of the building. People get absolutely wasted to let off steam, and this always leads to inappropriate behavior. One girl went back to her desk one year and passed out topless. They found her the next morning, still topless, when everyone came back to the office. They always made the parties on Thursdays in the hope it would stop employees from getting too fucked up, but it didn't. The Philadelphia cops would wait outside the campus ready to pull people over for DUIs. But really, they spared no expense on these parties, and for like three hours, we would almost forget we hated our jobs. On the topic of money, I absolutely did not make enough. I get that it's Pennsylvania, so we're not going to make as much of New York as New York or LA, but by the time I left Free People, I was only making $58,000 a year in a mid-level position at a company I had been working at for seven years if you count my time in the stores. I made myself available to the company 24-7, 365, and didn't get much in return beyond panic attacks and therapy bills. I want to emphasize that while I was always being yelled at and stressed out, I was actually pretty successful at Free People. I got promoted three times, won a company award, was asked to speak at multiple events, and was really well respected by my peers. In theory, I should have been absolutely thriving, but the culture, the behavior, and the you-can-never-say-no attitude was crippling. I wasn't some lazy, disgruntled employee who couldn't take the heat. I was good at my job. I was liked. I should have been able to make a lifelong career there. I've worked for other big retailers since leaving Free People, and for the record, I haven't cried because of work once. That behavior is not in my nature. None of them have even come close to the absolute shit show that is FP. But I do have to thank them. I started as a part-time sales associate in 2013 and now have a serious career in the fashion industry because they recognized my abilities and gave me a chance. And while the work was batshit, there's nothing I can't do now. Submission number four. I worked retail part-time for Aurora James at the Brother Valley's store and part-time as a styling assistant for Solange Franklin. As a styling assistant, my days were very active. During fashion week or a few weeks after, I'd attend back-to-back press appointments, taking photos and creating referencing documents for Solange to review later. If we were working on an event or a shoot, it may consist of running around the city, shopping for what we need, carrying large garment bags of samples back and forth from PR agencies, coordinating deliveries, writing up expenses for shoots. I was regularly working 12-hour days. 
Aurora James does not match the persona that she puts out there. She has no idea how to run a business, and I don't think she does as much for the Black community as she portrays. I have no idea how she survives with her current lifestyle because she makes no money. It's honestly unsettling to me that the fashion community thinks that she's some sort of savior for diversity in fashion. She is one of those people who wanted to be a part of the elite fashion crowd and won't associate with anyone below that status. You never see her working with black design students or helping to build a young black model's career. She's profiting off the struggles of the image of an American black woman while also conforming to this elite fashion socialite lifestyle that is faking diversity with token models and designers. I had black women come into the store saying how she's their Louboutin. I shared a picture once of a customer wearing her shoes with her, and she told me that only pictures of models or celebrities can be posted. She doesn't care about her customers, nor does she care to uplift black women below her. She only cares about her own image and status, and I wish she'd get called out for her bullshit. As a styling assistant, I got paid $80 a day. I worked about 10 to 12 hours a day, three days a week, so definitely not worth it. She had a limited budget, which I understand, but I think she demanded too much work for that price. It seems like her and her peers are in the mindset that since they had to go through unpaid internships and long days, so do those below them, as if it's a rite of passage. That needs to change. Aurora had unpaid interns working part-time jobs for over a year without them receiving any compensation, not even in product. It's the reason mostly privileged people can survive in this industry. Hardly anyone can realistically enter into fashion in New York without the help of their parents or a trust fund. I had help from my parents with my food and other necessities. Almost all of the money I made during this period went to my rent, with maybe $100 left over. Dressing clients larger than a size 4 is a task, and is mind-boggling that people can't get a clue. I was working on a shoot for Porter with Solange, who was styling Tracy Ellis Ross. Almost nothing was in her size, and we had to go with flow options. She kept saying, Tracy is a fashion girl, and we need the best pieces for her. The staff from Porter just looked at her like it was the best they could do and didn't say much. As a nobody in the industry, I loved going to fashion shows. There's not really any pressure for me to socialize or look a certain way. I'm a true wallflower and was fine with just existing and experiencing the fashion. I do, however, think New York Fashion Week is declining. People don't actually wear most of the brands that are shown or hyped up. Influencers are getting really annoying. I don't know if they actually like these brands or are only doing it for the paycheck. Design schools and the CFDA is doing a terrible job with helping young fashion designers develop their ideas into actual businesses. Not everybody can be or needs to be Marc Jacobs. Take a note from Aurora, who is a CFDA VFF winner and doesn't even know how to train employees. Everything is too much about prestige and image. They box contemporary fashion into a category and think it's a dirty word because it means it's lower priced than designers. The fashion industry is changing and it's dressing more than society ladies who lunch. So many people who love fashion cannot and will not ever be able to purchase clothes that cost $1,000. It's just not a reality anymore, but the people in charge are too scared to change.
I worked for a high profile fashion designer for about a year and a half. And my job title was an executive assistant intern, emphasis on the intern. And I got the job. I found it on LinkedIn. I was so excited because this is somebody that your mom would probably freak out about. And she's really well-respected in the industry. She was really big, like 20 years ago, like everybody knew who she was, you know, she was in featured in gossip girl. They would always talk about her. It was like a thing. So as I would, I showed up in the biggest blazer I could find with a neck scarf to the nines. And I was ready to kill whichever interviewer was going to ask me anything about her. So they absolutely loved me and hired me on the spot. And I was completely shocked because I was totally, didn't really feel that prepared, but you know, fake it till you make it right away. We had to sign an NDA and I come in the next day and the environment was kind of like a glamorous headquarters. It was in the middle of the city. It was our studio where we would make all of the stuff in-house samples. And it was this gorgeous, vibrant studio. And everything just seemed so perfect until she walked in. And you could feel the energy in the room just shift. And everybody was just so nervous. And it was like, literally Miranda from the Devil Wears Prada walked in and everybody's just like on their toes, so alert, so scared. There were strict rules as in everybody knew to dress to the nines because if she would walk in and you were wearing something not up to her standards, she would make fun of you for the rest of the day. So we would try to put on our cutest outfits, make sure our hair was done, makeup done, look presentable because on a daily Anybody from celebrities to models to journalists would walk in and we would be representing her. Our roles were to do and handle every single thing. And mind you, we were not getting paid. And when I found out that literally nobody was getting paid, it was amazing. So much so to the point where she was banned from multiple, pretty much every high profile modeling agency in New York for her reputation of not paying anybody. So we would get the most gorgeous models, everybody, all of these like gorgeous, gorgeous people coming in and they would work five, six hours nonstop and they would just never get paid. And we would have calls. We, we had like nicknames for these people from India, China, all of these manufacturers waiting to get paid for all of these samples. And they would come calling, harassing us. When are we going to get paid? When are we going to get paid? We just did hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of orders and nobody's going to get paid. So we were trained to like speak to them in a certain way. So we would avoid having to speak to them again. And she would act like this was all normal behavior. And every single day we would come in and we would be like, oh my God, like who's going to call and yell at us today? We had people hunting us down. Like there were people coming in to the studio looking for her ass. And she would be like hiding in the back and making us cover for her. It was seriously insane. So downstairs we had like a kitchen and a meeting area. So we would have to make sure there was fresh fruits and vegetables in the kitchen at all times. We would not be able to have any snacks that weren't pre-approved. We would have to get a grocery list, email it to her. She would never look at emails. She would never get back to us. So we would have to infer 
the choices that she would like. And we would go and buy the healthiest, so to speak. And she would come and literally roast our asses if we didn't get tomatoes, cucumbers, and avocados. And she would just make us eat avocado toast and water. Like that was the, like if she saw you eating anything else, like our, we would all run out to the Mexican spot down the block to like get drunk on margaritas and tacos because we could never be seen anywhere in the studio eating anything but avocado toast. It was quite the time. And she would always tell you if you're looking too big to, to something like, why does your hair look like that? Why do you look like that today? It was honestly something. There was one point where we all kind of figured out that this is, we either stick together or this is going to be a disaster. So we would kind of figure out how to not piss her off, but that really doesn't happen. So she had also a famous daughter that would come in. Um, and this daughter has been on a TV show. I will not name names, but if you know, you know, so she would always get press packages. And when she walked in, I feel like everybody got even more scared because if her press package wasn't ready and named and, and packaged perfectly the way that she was waiting for her, our boss would kill us and she would yell at us and she didn't even make eye contact with any of us. Like she was such a brat. She like literally could not be bothered, but yeah, some roles would include, uh, this was a good one. I had to make custom socks with Andy Cohen's face on it. And she would have to pre-approve everything. It was like a Christmas gift or something. And apparently she did, she does, she like did this every year. And this year was my duty to make his Christmas socks and every single design, every, every color, it would just never be good enough. Imagine working on a pair of custom socks for a week and a half for her to never go through with it. That was one of my duties. Then we would have to figure out how to arrange flights for things that she wouldn't even know where she was going. Like she was so disorganized. She had no idea where she was going half the time and how to get there or how to do any basic things other than yell and scream. So we were working towards a show for New York Fashion Week and that is the most hectic time ever in fashion history. So we would have to figure out the food, the venue, the models, the decorations, every single thing for literally no budget because she would not pay for anything. Can you imagine calling venues asking to cater food for free? Because that's what we had to do for literally weeks on end. We would have to beg these people like you don't understand, like we'll feature you. And nobody knew who this bitch was because she was, yeah, she was popular 30 years ago. Your mom probably has one of her fucking dresses, but she doesn't know, like nobody knows her. And she would walk around like she was literally Prada, Chanel, Balenciaga. Like she would walk around as if people owed her something. And it was just such a weird concept because her favorite thing to say was, I wouldn't be caught dead in a Marshalls. I wouldn't be caught dead with my pieces anywhere in a TJ Maxx. Mind you, I walk in there and her stuff is in the laundry section. It's in the food section. It's in the sleep sec. It's all over the damn place. Like that was my dream job. And to see all of that play out in front of your eyes and see the true nature of the fashion industry really kind of shook me to the core in a way because it just gets worse from here kind of. And it was kind of like a wake up call of damn bitch. Do you really want to do this over and over and over again? When I was 23, I got the opportunity to interview for the Vogue assistant, a West Coast position. 
And I had no idea what that entailed. I just was really excited. I had a friend who knew a friend who was leaving the position, knew it was available. I sent in my resume with absolutely no experience whatsoever. And I went in for the interview. I met with the assistant, the head assistant to Lisa Love. And he kind of briefed me on the position, what it entailed, and then brought me right in to meet her. I sat with her. She laughed because I had, quote, fashion experience in St. Louis, Missouri. But I told her I hustle and I work really hard. And I just moved all my things, packed up my car and got here. And it felt like she liked that. But I also know that I'm a cute, attractive woman who was dressed modestly, but like still chic. And I think she just liked the idea of having someone cute at the front desk to greet people too, because that was the majority of the job. It's literally the offices that you see in the Hills with Lauren and Whitney working for Lisa Love. It's the same exact corner office that she's in, except for there are no fashion clothes anywhere. It's just completely empty, incredibly corporate and just me, two other people, one that works events, one that did like fashion styling and then Lisa. I was told on my very first day by her assistant, I was replacing, don't worry, this isn't the devil wears Prada. And while it definitely didn't have the tenacity and rigorous and almost hostile environment you saw in the movie, it definitely had similar elements. I had faceless I had to memorize so that I wouldn't offend any celebrity or socialite that was attending an event I did work 15 hour days if it was a shoot day and I had to organize every single one of the clothes. Everything paid absolutely nothing. It's $10 an hour. And I mean, even if I asked for a raise, they were like, I'm sorry, this is just how Condé Nast works. And, you know, I just felt like they were using me for free labor in some days, like cute free labor. I think the most difficult client or stylist that they ever worked with was absolutely rumor Willis. She just had terrible energy, incredibly rude. When I like, didn't know who she was at an event. I also really disliked James Corden. He was in his own world, kind of snobby. My favorite, absolutely Zendaya. She was a dream, so kind. Her family included super, super sweet. And I really liked Haim. They were amazing. Also really generous, kind to the people around them. And I think that I was like surprised by like coldness of like really high, like A-list celebrities. Reese Witherspoon prides herself in being like the sweetest, most bubbly person, really cold, kind of quick. Um, when she's in a work environment and I don't know, I just felt like it was interesting to see these huge names being cold. And then people like Mindy Colling, who also was pretty big in my eyes, being incredibly nice and having to feel like she introduced herself. I one time was at a dinner. It was like 15 people. Lisa, Anna Winter was in town for it. And Kim and Kanye were supposed to come. Kim was pregnant with North at the time, I think super, super pregnant. And she and Kanye were very late, 
probably 45 minutes to an hour late. They started the dinner without them actually, and sent me down to grab them. And I went down the elevator. I escorted them upstairs, got trampled. Like my foot was like swollen the next day because paparazzi were just like climbing on me. I almost teared up just based on like feeling so incredibly violated. And it wasn't even about me. We get in the elevator. It's me, Kim Kanye, Kim pregnant, pregnant whale in this room, this tiny little elevator. And Kanye is just fixing every little detail on her sweeping her hair back a little bit, fixing the earrings, but doing it in actually such a sweet, delicate way that I actually found the moment really endearing. And she just kind of surrendered and said, you know, I trust you. I can't wait to like show up and show off this look that you've put together for me. I definitely think the salary for what I had to do is completely ridiculous I do not come from a lot of money. I'm, you know, well off and definitely in above middle class, but that's coming from St. Louis, Missouri and me moving to LA on my own, paying for everything independently, $10 an hour couldn't even cover my rent. And I just find it like, that's why no one can enter that world that isn't already rich, famous or connected. I had a connection to get in and then I still couldn't even afford the job. I think that that experience was incredible, especially for being so young. I got to see sides of like people that I really admired that I realized they're just humans. And then I also saw things I really disliked in terms of how hard people are pushed and how self-obsessed and self-absorbed people can become. And so I left that world. It was right at the start of Instagram kind of making its boom in terms of being a marketing profile. And I decided to hop on board that. So I've moved into marketing. I worked for a well-known retailer. I was the specialty wholesale assistant. I would say the company is not the problem. I would say my boss at the time was the problem. I was flown around the country, which sounds glamorous, but you're traveling for work. So Atlanta every six weeks, Vegas twice a year, and you would be put on the red eye and sent straight to the office and work another five to 10 days in a row during market season. My boss was a sociopath. If you wore the same outfit as her to market, she would shun you from the group. One time we showed up in the same dress and we were sitting in a circle as a team and she took her chair and sat directly in front of me so nobody could see me in my dress, only her in her dress. At one point, she started having a mental breakdown in which... I was then covering for the affair that she started having with her childhood best friend while she she would say that she was going to see her dad for his chemo treatments and she would be going to stay with this man. This man had a girlfriend who was in college. They were in their 30s at the time. And she wanted me to hire said girlfriend as my intern so we could keep tabs on her and boss her around and send her on meaningless errands. 
we would get into screaming matches because I refused to do that. And I said, if she wanted to bring her on, she could report directly to her. But I am having no part in this. The entire office was aware of what was happening. We had to pretend like nothing was happening. But then she would come in and talk about her dates with this man while her poor husband was none. He was nonetheless wiser. She fully stopped working and I was covering for her and doing the better part of her job. And that is when me and my team caught her fudging the numbers by hundreds of thousands of dollars after every market. So then we had to start secretly tallying up the correct numbers and we're secretly building a case with her to HR and her boss. I had been there for about a year and a half. I was obviously ready for a raise. I was making $30,000. It did not cover my basic bills. And I had a clothing allowance. That was great. But you can only get so much with that. So I asked HR for a raise and how to go about doing it. And when he spoke to my boss, She said, I haven't done anything to deserve a raise and that until my job changes, I don't get any more money. So then I started building a case against her, but at the same time started looking for other jobs. And I would print out my initial job description and I would just write new permanent tasks on there. And after about two weeks, I went back to HR, gave him the list and said, here is why I deserve more money. So I got more money for a little bit. That turned my boss against me because she believed that because she was tortured starting her career, that everybody should be tortured starting their career, that they shouldn't be given a fresh start. You shouldn't be teaching the new people to behave better. I finally got a new job. Um, when I put in notice, she didn't even respond to me. She just walked out of the room and we didn't really speak again. She was horrible with fat shaming and racist. I left all these notes in my exit interview. And then a couple months later, she was fired and escorted out of the building immediately. So that gave me some, what of a good conscience there. So I would say wholesale probably outside of like client facing jobs you drink the most in wholesale which didn't help with ongoing addiction issues that I have always had but I would go to other jobs and be like what do you mean we're not gonna have mimosas with our morning reports I didn't quite understand that Whenever we traveled for work, we would like rage and blackout and everything revolved around drinking, especially when we went to Vegas for market. Um, I don't think that made me an addict, but it didn't help, you know, being in that environment. I still love it. I'll never leave it. I've considered it when things get really bad. Listen, I love it. I'm a masochist. I'm here for the long haul. I got this job through connections, as so many people in the fashion industry do. This company definitely did and does have a reputation. And behind closed doors, it's not at all what is presented. Almost everything about the industry, my experience, is so much less glamorous than people think it is. It's not what's pictured on TV or on social media or whatever. 
I think most days people didn't leave before seven. It was often later than that. Like seven was a good day. Uh, when it comes to fashion week and preparing for the show and market, we worked around the clock. It was common to be there until 10, 11 midnight. And there were even instances of people staying later than that very often. Um, there were a couple of times, although luckily I never had to, uh, some people were staying until five or 6 AM. Uh, some people would sleep in the office and it was, you know, a couple weeks of this. It's not like it was like one or two nights. Like there were a, at least a week, if not two or three of us staying until 10, 11 PM. And on top of that, as the production team, we were not invited to the show that was reserved for other people. Uh, so while the show and after party were going on, we would be in the office until, you know, midnight, 1am and working on the behind the scenes aspect to actually get things done. Um, we did get a clothing allowance for each season, which, you know, free clothes, it's always fun. How much we got varied on position and seniority level, but everybody had some sort of allowance. I definitely feel like the designers were only designing for a particular body type. The women members of the design team were all fit thin and would fit into model sizes. And that was reflected in who they designed for. There were comments about things not being for a bigger body type, not to mention a lot of the designs were just not practical for someone who wasn't a size zero to four. For production, we fit on a size eight. And there were comments about our model by the design team, even though she was approved by them. And snide remarks and fittings like, nobody bigger than her should wear this anyway. Do we really think somebody with her bus size would actually wear this? She was only like a 36 B or C for reference. I got no impression that they were trying to diversify or that they wanted to diversify at all. In general, the speed of the industry is absolutely insane, especially from a design and production standpoint. The fashion calendar is not sustainable for anyone to keep up with. There were instances of people having actual breakdowns at work, people definitely suffering because of how fast things had to go. Not to mention there isn't proper amount of people to cover all the work that needs to be done. So it really feels like you're set up to fail sometimes. It also completely affected my social life. I couldn't have much of one. When you're working minimum 50 hour weeks, it doesn't leave a lot of time to have plans with people. You pretty much worked, went home, slept, and went back to work. I had times that I had plans with people at like 7, 7.38, and I would have to cancel them because I wasn't able to leave the office. I also wasn't making enough, so I did have to work a second job on the weekends. And I worked at a restaurant on Friday nights and Sundays. The fact that I had to leave the office at 6 p.m. on Fridays to make it to my second job was not well-received, which was ridiculous because it was a direct result of the salary that they were paying me. Uh, especially near the end, they ended up restructuring the team and it basically ended up with me doing two roles with no title change, no raise. And that was as really what pushed me to end up leaving. I worked for a well-known American fashion house Everyone in America has probably has something in their wardrobe from this iconic brand. And I was an apparel designer for close to 10 years. I got this job through an agency. They originally took 50% of my pay 
for finding me the position. And it took me about a year to get out of that contract and to be paid by the company itself. So as a result, I made $19,000 my first year living in New York. And it was terrifying. It's really scary. I grew up swimming with my mom. So I knew the design world was something that I wanted to be a part of. Um, but I grew up in a small town, so I had no real understanding of what it meant to be in the industry. And I naively thought it was about people who just wanted to create beautiful things. My responsibilities ran anywhere from running a fitting um, to running a meeting with a team of graphic artists to communicate what the season's direction was. I'd go on shopping trips a little bit later in my career and this company with this company and, um, spent thousands of dollars of items that we would refit to our quote unquote, our brand. Uh, hours were generally eight to six or seven, but we were expected to be ready for early morning meetings or fittings or answering emails at night. So it kind of meant that you could take a workout class or grab a drink after work, but you would go home and finish work. We were designing a pride collection. And when we presented a sequin group to merchandising, they said that no man would wear sequins. And I don't know, I feel like I need to repeat that it was a pride collection. Another note, um, the company received awards for the, their HR team. But when I had an issue and emailed them directly about an issue with my boss, they forwarded him the email directly, which is crazy illegal. I received a day off from my manager because I'd worked late all week. And when I left, they gave me an extra day because it had already been promised. And about a month after I quit, I received a bill in the mail and they actually asked me to reimburse an extra day that I claimed in my exit interview. And I never responded. The craziest thing I probably ever experienced was when I was leading a color meeting. I'd prepared for weeks with my manager. It's a well-known executive vice president. And she showed up with ski goggles on, like full ski goggles. Um, the room had windows all along the entire length of the room. And there was track lighting and two desk lamps. She complained that she couldn't see anything and the lighting was so horrible in that room that she couldn't possibly make decisions about color direction. Of course, everybody freaked out and they scrambled to grab more desk lamps. They pulled out their iPhones like it was mayhem. And the next day, um, I swear a hundred new bulbs were installed into the track lighting. There's probably a light every two inches around the room and it ended up blowing a fuse and the lights didn't work in that room anymore. And just because like nobody could say to her face that it would be better to hold off the meeting until she wasn't wearing ski goggles. It was crazy. The same person actually came in like a fully netted dress to a meeting at one point and she sat down and I happened to be behind her, like ready to take trays and give trays. And at one point she popped up, um, from the desk and she was not wearing a slip under her like open netted dress. And she was an older woman nearing retirement and she was wearing a thong. So that was incredible. And I think when we worked it out and calculated it all with the hours, it was like $3 an hour. I don't find it to be a especially racially diverse company. Uh, there was a moment when a colleague 
who is a person of color, made a comment about lack of diversity in a meeting and a white colleague who was heralded as the company's hot new thing got in her face and yelled at her publicly for suggesting that there was an internal issue regarding race. Um, and this person was promoted again shortly after this incident. There are a couple of things that bothered me about working there. Uh, one of the main issues for me personally was when we pulled quote unquote inspiration from smaller design companies, um, like stealing small companies work was just, that's just horrible. Another was when we were asked to change only a percentage of a design to make it pass legal. I feel like we were always finding sneaky ways to pass things off as an original design or at least being able to deny or cover the source. And then kind of the front-facing departments would promote diversity or show strong respect for people, cultures, and other businesses. And it was just, it's just like such a front. It's crazy. Design isn't really design at big fashion houses. Um, maybe to be more clear, it's, it, this creativity is derived from thinking within a box about what small changes can be made season to season to sell something as new. And it's corporate creativity that involves shopping the market and seeing what someone else at a higher echelon is doing and then regurgitating the trend in a way that fits your brand. I would say that is corporate design. So, you know, real creatives like need to find a small company that is actually trying to move things forward and not just look around them. I am a fashion designer from Amsterdam and have been working in the retail industry for the past six, seven years. Before my current job at a Dutch retailer, I used to work for a curvy like plus-sized women's brand that is owned by this really famous businessman. And he's a multimillionaire. He owns half of Amsterdam. He has a lot of different businesses all over the world. And he's famous for dating women half his age. And he's this really cocky, 70-year-old, five-foot-tall Jewish man. And um, well, retail really had its golden days back in the 90s and zeros and the brands he he owns were very popular back in those days but since primark and the initex group it's like zara mango plumber hit the streets it became hard to compete with their prices and their short lead times for example they can place orders of one million pieces where we consider three thousand pieces of big order and because of those quantities they can sell t-shirts for like three euros which is insane you know, the fact that something is so cheap doesn't mean somebody else on the other side of the world is not paying the price for your three-year t-shirt. Well, there's so much to unpack there, and I could talk about that for hours, but I want to tell you about my, about my boss. Like I said, he made a lot of money with his brands back in the days, but by the time I was employed by him, all of those brands were costing him more money than they were making him, and some even went bankrupt. And he had this tactic of letting his own businesses go bankrupt so that he could lose all the dead weight, being like older employees and stores that weren't performing, debt, and then buying that business back under one of his other businesses and just try to start over again. And since business wasn't going well, he was in a bad mood for pretty much every meeting. He was insane. Like, he would make 
grown women cry, like 50-year-old women were crying in those meetings. And he enjoyed it. Like, he loved the, the power he had over women. And one of my first meetings with him, it just went horrible. And during, he asked me in front of everybody, um, are you afraid of me? And I was like 21 at the time. And I just said, yes. And he smiled at me and he's, he turned his chair away from me like a, a fucking psycho. And he's famous for being a tyrant. I literally had meetings with him where he would throw chairs across the room and people would start crying. And keep in mind, this guy is five foot tall. He's like, he's so tiny. And he would hold a random dress in front of your face and yell at you. I should make you wear this for a week and see if you feel sexy because it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And he would call us all idiots and say things like, your boyfriends are not fucking you properly because you obviously don't know what sex is. I designed a shirt that he clearly didn't like for some reason and he screamed at me, I'm not going to fuck you if you wear that. Nobody's going to fuck you wearing that. And I was always, I would always joke that if I lived in the States, I would sue the fuck out of him for all the crazy shit he said to me and like i mentioned before he was famous for dating young women and back in the day like in the 90s he was a real ladies man and he was in the tab tabloids a lot but now he's just old and it's a bit embarrassing you guys i don't want this episode to go on for too too long so i am going to be mindful of time but tell you that we got so many submissions for this particular prompt about the fashion industry that there will be another episode next week so you thought that this was jarring buckle up you ain't seen nothing yet in the meantime thank you so much for giving me an hour and change of your day it means the absolute world to me. Questions, comments, complaints, concerns. If you have your own story to share about the fashion industry, who knows? You might be able to get it to me in time to be in next week's episode. So please contact me at AllieWeissWorld at gmail.com or you can send me an email, not an email, a DM. I'm sorry. I ate an edible before I started recording this and it seems like it may have just hit. This is literally the seventh take that I have done for this outro. So let's just bust through it. DM me at Ali Weiss World. Um, my inbox is always open. My DMs do tend to get a little bit swamped because of casting. So if you want to get in touch with me fast, email is always the way to go or attaching a scroll to a pigeon's foot. Your trust, your time, your honesty, that's what makes this show work. I cannot overstate how important each and every one of you are to me. If you liked what you heard, or even if you didn't, truly the most helpful thing you can do is leave a rating and a review on iTunes. If you want me to continue not having to promote CBD and teeth whitener on this show in order to make a living, leave a review, show the world that I'm legitimate, and let's do things that way. XOXO Gossip Squirrel. I am going to go before I humiliate myself. See and hear you guys next week. And until then, be good. Be good.